Entrepreneurs can get stuck in their head, challenged by their thoughts, the voice in their head, and their beliefs. We chat with successful entrepreneurs who share their journey and the lessons learned along the way. The Ad Valued Entrepreneurs podcast is edutaining, leaving you with actionable advice to transform your life and create a thriving business that aligns with your values and goals. Our conversations are for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life they desire. You deserve it. It is possible. It's time for you to add value. This episode is brought to you by the newly released book, The Entrepreneur Mindset Shift, Growth Characteristics of Success by Robert C. Peterson. Available on Amazon, or you can order a personalized signed copy at addvalue2life.com slash shift. Our guest, Dr. Dan Amsleg, became a naturalized citizen in 2009 from France after exploring life in various countries. He enjoys experiencing different cultures and learning to assimilate various behaviors and approaches to life. He holds a doctorate in organizational leadership and communication. Dan helps organizations and individuals go through the hurdles and challenges of life. Dr. Dan Amzalag shares about the importance of mental health and how the pressures of running a business can feel overwhelming. We talk about the value of reframing failure and how to accept failure as a part of the journey. Well, Dr. Dan, thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate you taking the time to come on the show and just looking forward to uh, learning so much from you about your journey and your experience as an entrepreneur. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here, Robert. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So typically, I just have everyone just tell us how they got into entrepreneurship, how they get their start. Well, okay. So first, let me uh, share a little bit with your listeners where I come from. So I'm sure that uh, they're noticing some accent. Okay. So I'm actually French. So um, I left France when I was uh, really, really young. And, um, and then I moved to Montreal, Canada, where it's way worse when it comes to cold. Um, I lived there for close to 20 some years of my life. Then I moved to the Texas area. So, I mean, in Montreal, I did all my studies. I did uh, my bachelor degree in uh, finance and marketing. Then in, uh, I moved to Texas, close to the Austin area. Then I did my MBA out there and I did international uh, business and marketing. And then I moved to Washington, D.C., which I spent another 20 years there. Um, in DC, in Texas, it was a small, uh, you know, time, like it was no more than two and a half years, just enough to be able to do my executive MBA. And then in DC, I, uh, I studied to get my doctorate degree. So all my life, uh, Robert, I, I couldn't see myself working for anyone. When I was younger, every single job I had, I got fired. <laughs> every job I had, I got fired. And it was not because I did the wrong thing. It's just my mindset was not capable of just following orders or letting people tell me what I need to do. So um, I just kind of like bounced from one place to the other, trying to find my meaning, trying to find, okay, what am I interested in? Because obviously, you know, Robert, when you, what you study in school is not how it is in real life at all. In school, they just give you theoretical notion of what the content is, but in life, you really have to use creativity. You have to use a lot more than what just they teach you in school. And that's what even Elon Musk said. I mean, it's great to have someone who graduated, who had an MBA or an advanced degree, but I don't care about that. I want people with experience and people who are smart, creative, that they could take initiative. That's what really counts for him, in which I agree with him completely. So that's basically my, been my journey, and I've been uh, operating uh, a relocation business for over 20 years. 
Um, I've been operating now that I have my doctor degree in uh, therapy, actually am a therapist and uh, a dating coach and a life coach. Um, and, uh, and now it's just my, because of the pandemic, my practice has boomed considerably, exponentially, because as you know, this isolation created a lot of people feeling down, feeling depressed, feeling anxious, and having to deal with the reality of their mental illness. Because before it was put in the in the back burner, they, they just didn't address it. They didn't want to go see a therapist. They didn't want to admit that they have an issue. So now after dealing with this isolation, um, I've been dealing with a lot of people who are having trouble in their couple, in their marriage. So that in itself created a lot of need among people. Absolutely. So that's an interesting combination of companies. So uh, <laughs> a relocation company, a, a coaching company, a marital counseling company. Um, yeah. how, how, did, how did this all come about? Uh, good question. It's, you know, they call me a serial entrepreneur. I'm also an author, a published author. I wrote 10 books, uh, despite the fact that I've been managing all those companies. Um, the thing is, when, when it comes to the relocation, which started in the year 2002, um, the way that started is that I was, um, I was actually coaching because I was a business coach. I was coaching people on how to start their businesses. Okay. So one person came to me, he had an idea of a real, uh, to open a relocation company and a storage company. So I helped him. I did his business plan. I did everything. And then he told me, Dan, I'm sorry, I cannot pay your bill. I said, okay. And then he said, look, um, in return, if you want to take the company because you've done everything for it, go ahead. So I've studied so much in the moving business in the industry that I said, you know what? It's doable. So I got into it. And my first main big, big contract was with the World Bank. And from the World Bank, when I serviced one customer there, then the second one, third, and then I did all of World, World Bank employees. So that was already like in the first year, it was easy half a mil. And then wow. it, grew, it grew and grew and grew. But then I noticed that the industry changed. Well, not changed. It was there, but I just didn't see it. Um, there's a lot of rogue movers, a lot of scammers. Mm -hmm. And then, as you know, Robert, customers, or I mean, they, they put up a quote. We give them uh, a quote on their uh, move. And those rogue movers will always lowball the estimate to be able to be chosen by the customer. So, well, of course, the customer, when they hear a move from Maryland all the way to California for $3,000, which you really have to be stupid to really accept that. It's <laughs> like a dollar a mile. Yeah, a dollar, exactly. So they, for them, they would go with the cheapest price and they end up getting super scammed and they end up paying twenty-five dollars to $30,000 to get their stuff back. Hmm. Because as you know, once your, your, your furniture is in their truck, you are at their mercy. You cannot, I mean, before the cops helps you, before the judicial system helps you, you will have no furniture for at least three years. Right. So they just pay the bill. So I try to educate people. I try to help them because when I give them a quote, they tell me, well, how come you're more expensive than this company? Then I send them a report about the scams that this company did. I say, oh, no, no, this is not applicable to me. They're fine. They give me, I trust them. And then they realize, oops. So they call me back and tell me, Dan, can you help me get my stuff back? So I do my best to be able to find them resources so they could actually go and contact the right person. But it's out of my hand. I cannot do anything. And this is one of the reasons why I started a company called Movers Facts. So we are the car facts of the moving industry. Wow. 
Yes, it doesn't exist anywhere around the, the planet. So we are the pioneer. So we're creating what we call the movers facts report, just like the car facts. And we give a detailed autopsy about that mover. So when a customer requests the service of this moving company, they'll be able to see if this company is scammed, if they're licensed, all the reviews that they have against them or for them, uh, if they're on movingscam.com, ripoff report, basically a detailed autopsy of this mover. Wow. So I got fed up of this industry, to be honest with you, because of all the scams. But I, I changed the industry by creating this uh, this Movers Facts report. Wow. And, and it was so important, the, the idea that, oh, I can use this cheaper mover, even though it's so cheap that it should be obvious, right? <laughs> but, you know, for people who are not aware of what really the cost should be, because there's no comparison that they need to have if it's especially their first move. So those rogue mover, they basically prey on these customers and they just take advantage. And then after that, the poor, the poor people, they're like already short for cash because they already probably put all their deposit on the new home or the rent, the first and last month deposit plus security and all. So they have nothing left. Hmm. And, well, and then, and then it, even if they sue, the company goes bankrupt and disappears before they ever could go to court. Exactly. And then they open up with a new with a new US DOT number and a new company name. And this is how they continue operating. Wow. We've dug into something crazy. Oh, completely, Robert. It's it's really it disgusts me to a point where I say, what's the point of competing with this company? Because I'm not this type of person that will uh, lowball and take advantage of them. For me, if I give them a price, it's a real true base estimate on their inventory, their distance, because look, we have what we call the Tariff 400M. The Tariff 400M is based by the United States Department of Transportation, which obligates the mover, or I would say the honest mover, to follow a specific uh, amount per miles and per weight. So we, we have to weigh the truck, we have to go how much we charge per pound, and then this is how, especially for interstate move, which is out of state. Intrastate, which is inside the state, then you could basically charge per hour. Hmm. Interesting. So that, that brings up an important point. How important is character for an entrepreneur? Well, well, you have to be persistent. I mean, you cannot accept no for an answer. You're going to have to push and push. And even when you feel that there's no energy left in your body, you're going to have to continue. And it's hard to know, when do I stop? When do I say enough is enough? Or when do I have to accept my defeat? So, you know, this is, it is based on each one's personality, because of course, if you give up too quickly at uh, the first challenge that you're going to face, you're going to say, no, this is not for me. So you have to really see how much money do you spend every single month? How much, uh, you know, if you put yourself in a position where you cannot pay your own bills or you cannot even survive or buy food or take care of your family, you're going to have to reinvent yourself or kind of redirect your energy into something that may bring at least some kind of money to keep you afloat. Now, don't expect to be a millionaire like a billionaire like Jeff Bezos. Don't expect that because that's not going to happen. And a lot of people think that entrepreneur is going to bring that freedom. Absolutely not. You actually have to, first of all, the, the road to success will take at least a decade, if not more. Decade is a minimum. Now, of course, you have people who are as lucky as Mark Zuckerberg, who have seen success after three or four years operating Facebook from his uh, dorm room. 
But then after that, of course, if anyone uh, watched the movie The Social Network, at least they have a pretty good idea of what type of person he is. But for the rest, you're going to have to really, you know, push forward. I mean, it's uh, this is not for the faint at heart. Those people who are not strong mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, it's going to be very difficult to move forward. Mm. So you, you obviously found some success in the moving company and, and working with World Bank and then all of World Bank's um, clients and employees. And now you've extended your coaching from business coaching to, to, to personal coaching. What, what has been some of the most effective tools for, for generating leads or, or building an audience? Well, um, the beginning is very tough. Okay, so obviously you have to work with a lot of referrals. That's the number one. So if you know someone who is going through a, a difficult time, you can say, hey, you know what? I'll give you pro bono. Okay, you have to give a lot of pro bono in the beginning. And that's good for you to be able to practice because when you finish your, your thesis, when you finish uh, you know, school, when it comes to with therapy and all, it's, it gives you, again, just the basic knowledge of what you can read in psychology book, clinical knowledge about the issues that people may face. But it doesn't give you practical you know, aspect because you have to dive yourself into it and figure out exactly how you could do listening, how can you, uh, you know, understand what the issue is and how to apply your existing knowledge to be able to help the person, okay, or the client or the patient. So you have to practice and practice and practice. So you have to look as comfortable as possible when dealing with adversity. So that you have to give some pro bono to a lot of people. So in the beginning, don't expect to do much of any revenue, okay, or any income. But after, once they finish their pro bono session or two or three, whatever it is, as they in return, I need a review. I need a feedback. And here's my link to be able to put those feedback on Google. Now, some may say, oh, I do not want to, to put my name out there or whatever it is. So I say, look, create another email, a fake email, whatever it is but just put a name, but just put the review, at least share with the people what you've experienced, okay? Some of them may be reluctant, um, but others are, well, once they have a free session, trust me, they'll be very happy to uh, make that happen. Um, and as you grow, then you could start charging, okay? Then you could say, look, um, I could do slating scale, okay? Or sliding scale, which is based on your revenue or based on your income. So if let's say they're well off, you can charge your normal rate. If they're not, if they're struggling, then you could reduce by 50% your session per hour. Hmm. Nice. So obviously that process of, of growth, not only getting practice, but developing your confidence. Um, and then you mentioned, you know, your normal rate. How's, how do you find your value, right? How do you find that, that price point that, that represents the value you bring to the marketplace? Um, well, look, the, this, to a certain extent, there is what we call industry average for therapists, counselors, um, psychologists, etc. Psychiatrist goes into a different category because they prescribe medication. Psychologists, therapists, counselors do not. They're not allowed. Okay. Um, so let's say the, the, the most or the highest that you can charge for these, uh, I mean, uh, the therapist, whatever, is around 270 an hour, okay? Uh, but that's for people who could actually afford it because 270 is, is not, you know, it's not cheap. Um, insurance company will 
um, allow people to give uh, the deductible amount, and then they will pay the therapist around maybe 100, 110 max. Um, but then it, can, it depends on what is the code, the insurance code that you put uh, when you file for the claim, etc. So again, there's a lot of things that you have to really understand. Um, there's the HIPAA law, the H-A-P-P-A. You have to follow those laws. You have to make sure that you know you you provide the, the correct information, the correct diagnosis, etc. So again, there's a lot of um, you know you have to follow a lot of standards from the industry to be able to make sure that those rules are respected. Um, but again, the value or the the price you increase it as you build confidence, as you build popularity, as you build knowledge. And of course, you have to continue doing um, continuing education, those CE credits, because more you learn and more you become valuable and more valuable you become and more people are seeking your services and they are they know that you are more expensive than the average. So they still, for them, they just want to see results. Because trust me, in a marriage counseling, you either see a marriage counselor or you are divorced. Okay. And divorce, trust me, goes into 30, 40, 50,000 minimum. So, what is $270 for 20 or 30 sessions that can save you from your divorce than having to go through lawyers and getting plummeted by those lawyers? Yeah, no one, they don't see that from the other side. They don't. You're right about that. And uh, for them, it's only about, okay, well, you know, I can't stand her. I can do this, but sometimes it's always based on communication, or I would say lack of communication. So if you can just learn to speak, because it's not just you as a therapist that you get to learn about the different aspect of therapy. It's also the, the patients that have to learn and understand how you properly communicate, because these are skills that they're going to continue for the rest of their relationship or marriage. You see, so there's an expression that says, uh, you could uh, feed a man for a day by giving him a fish, or you could uh, teach him how to fish and feed him for life. Absolutely. Well, and and those communication skills. Obviously, marriage is a is a, a, a challenging example, right? Marriages they spend the most amount of time together outside of work, but all those same communication tools apply to entrepreneurs in in networking. They apply to to your business in in your relationships with with partners with suppliers with clients um, and so how important is is the ability to have relationships and, and create connections well this is really the most important part of an entrepreneur because it's not by sitting down at your desk that clients are going to come okay so networking is really really important it's a big part of your uh, of you, but especially in the beginning, Robert. Now, the networking part <clears throat> doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a day-to-day -day operation for you that you have to do all this all the time, every single day for the rest of your uh, business life. <laughs> kind of like, then after a certain point, you're gonna have to reduce that because obviously, if your networking did work properly, you will have enough payment or client or business, whatever it is, that will provide provide you with some leads and provide you with some referrals. So you will not even have much time to even network. It's a good place to go. That's the best place to be. <laughs> Absolutely. So let's, let's touch on networking a little bit. Obviously you built most of your things in face-to-face -face networking, but COVID shut all those, those kinds of networking meetings 
down. What were you able to do without face-to-face -face networking? Well, like we're doing now, thank God, we had the uh, ability to be able to convert everything from face-to-face -face into a virtual call. So um, even with my patients right now, uh, Robert, I have patients all over the country uh, and even the world. I have people in France because obviously, you know, French is uh, my native language. So I'm able to uh, speak different languages and be able to kind of like help people from every, I would say, corner of the world or every round or whatever you want to call that. But um, the key here is to be able to, first of all, it opens up the, the amount of patient that you can see on a day-to-day -day basis without having to be stuck on traffic. Okay, uh, when, because before I had to go sometime to drive to the, to the customers or to the client's uh, place of business to be able to do the, the session there. So I was like a mobile therapist. Okay, uh, but for the rest, it's, you know, like I said, the virtual aspect of uh, the therapy allowed to really, they call it teletherapy. It opened up a lot more that I can do in one day without really spending too much time in commuting. Hmm. So good. So obviously your niche has changed a, a lot, right? From business coach to to business mover to yeah. To now and now I was a personal trainer before. So before I used to do like fitness coaching, where I train people to be able to get back in shape. So I think that you know, with the fitness aspect of it, um, you know, I had to also do certification with the personal trainer with the NASM, the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Um, so that's really rigorous. I mean. The exam is really uh, tough. Um, the, every two years, you have to do continuing education classes to be able to update your certification or else they don't, uh, you know, renew it. And uh, so this, I said to myself, you know what? The fitness aspect is great. But as you know, body and soul have to be interconnected, okay? Mm -hmm. So if you have, um, if you are able to help them change their physical body, you could change their mental side of it as well as their perspective about life in general. So I felt that that would be a good addition. So it's not really something completely opposite of what I used to do. It's more of an addition. Nice. Well, I like the, the holistic approach, right? Mm -hmm. Mind, body, and spirit are, are all necessary to to be in harmony. Um, it to, has to achieve another level. So let's talk about the value of gratitude and in, in your view of the world, in, in your view of yourself, in developing all these companies? Well, you know, the, the thing is, it's uh, that's an interesting question because as an entrepreneur, um, you're always thirsty for success. There's never really a point where you ever stop seeking for the next great opportunity, okay? So let's say if you want to set yourself a few goals, you you achieve those goals, well, I hope you do. And then after that, you ask your question, what's next? No one, I mean, a lot of entrepreneurs that I've met never really take the time to say, wow, congrats, you've achieved those goals. You're one of maybe 100 or 500 million people that don't do that. They cannot, when they set themselves a goal, they don't achieve it and they, they just give up. So you've achieved this goal. Take some time, enjoy it, appreciate it, be grateful. Uh, thank the universe for it to happen. Um, so, and then you set your next goal that is higher and better. So overall, I'm just, you know, when it comes to gratitude, I myself had to change my mindset, Robert. And it's not easy. 
but through meditation, through really understanding what is my goal, what what am I pursuing? Okay. Now I always give to the people that I coach, the, the that I mentor, the new entrepreneurs and all that from schools. Um, they come to me and say, look, those who are chasing money, okay, I, I provide them with this analogy. Let's say you go outside, it's a very sunny day, and the sun is reflecting on a certain angle where your shadow is in front of you. So try to run and try to catch your shadow. Mm. Never going to be able to do it. So it's like pursuing money. You're never going to catch up to it. However, in the right time when how the planets are aligned properly and the sun is behind you or in front of you, and now your shadow is reflecting in back of you, now money is pursuing you. So when you no longer are looking at what to pursue and start really looking at, you know what, I'll do it, whatever the outcome is. And that is because it's my passion, not because of how much money is going to make me. Then money start pursuing you. Hmm. That's such a great analogy because it's, it's true that you can have a goal, but you have to let go of the outcome. You have to let go of the goal to, um, and, and just trust the process and, and get focused on the process and trust that the process is going to bring you the outcome. Um, so there's a little bit of, of faith in there and, and forward, forward visioning um, that, that can be so, so powerful. You mentioned um, meditation in there. Are there other routines that, that are non-negotiables for you? Um, fitness. The thing is, is that you cannot just work, 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 work. You cannot just like pursue that goal that may or may never happen. So mm -hmm. let's say if it doesn't happen. So all, let's say, three, four, five years of hard work that you've put into like a business or a project, whatever it is, what do you do if it doesn't happen? Are you going to shoot yourself? Are you going to? So then in the back of your mind, you're going to say, I've wasted five years. No, you've gained five years of knowledge. Mm. You see, the people only look at the negative side. They don't look at what you have learned. You see, the word fail, the acronym fail, is first attempt in learning. People don't look at it this way. For them, failure is more like people will point finger at them to say, ha, 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 you failed, you're not smart, you're not good enough, you're not this, you're not that. And people will pay too much attention of what others think of them. And this is one thing that I need to tell to all the entrepreneurs out there. You shouldn't give an F about whatever people think of you. First of all, I tell them, be like the great white shark. The prey never see them coming. Okay? So never disclose anything of your project, of what you're doing, especially in a seed stage. And trust me, once your project is going to explode, the whole planet will hear from you. Nice. It can be challenging, right? Because you're so excited about something, it becomes your passion, and you want to tell somebody, you want to tell your family, you want to tell your friends and and they're the people that typically are going to poo-poo it and say, oh, that'll never work. Oh, why do you think of that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and they're, they're the one who's going to criticize it the most because, because they're family and friends. So they, they feel entitled that they could be as critical as possible. But then sometimes those critics may affect you in a certain way that may stop you from pursuing your goal. So, well, yeah. And sometimes they're trying to protect you, right? It's they kick into mom and dad mode and, and their fears, they're they're putting their fears on you. 
well, yeah, that, that's a very common, uh, you know, uh, action that a lot of people do, which is um, because they are insecure about their own goals, about their own uh, life purpose, that they will project this insecurity onto you. Mm-hmm. And because also a lot of people in which I've seen are afraid to be left behind. And what I mean by that, if someone is miserable at their job and they have a friend who's an entrepreneur who's eager to succeed, and when they succeed, those people who are miserable will no longer have the chance to be able to spend time with that person because they'll be so busy managing their empire. So they'll be left in a miserable life while the person who were persistent and who was you know, categorically moving forward no matter what, they're going to be like Jeff Bezos, which didn't even have time to even wipe his butt. <laughs> we will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, The Entrepreneur Mindset Shift, Growth Characteristics of Success by Robert C. Peterson. Available on Amazon, or you can order a personalized signed copy at addvalue2life.com. addvalue2life.com forward slash shift. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. And the other thing is when those critics see your success, they're going to be the first ones standing in line saying, hey, you buying dinner? <laughs> exactly. It's only after, because you see, our society are so focused on what we call instant gratification. Hmm. If this project doesn't bring enough money within the next three months, don't waste your time kind of thinking. Hmm. But no, if you know what, if you allow to think this way, you will fail. That's for sure. Well, and everybody wants Jeff Bezos' success, but nobody wants to start in their garage the way he did. And that's a big problem. That's a big, I would say, the big gap or the big difference of what makes a very few amount of people, which is 1% of the population, to succeed to a very high level, while all the other, the 99.2%, are the one who will actually just wait for wealth and abundance to come without really putting in the work. And this is why I say, you know what, if this is your thought process, go get yourself a nine to five job. This is because this is the only thing that you're capable of doing. Hmm. So good. So you, you mentioned, obviously, education has been really important to you because you, you've spent the time to keep pursuing a different level of, of education. But you also mentioned that education doesn't give you the, the real world experience and, and the reality, right? Education is kind of a theory side. So how much have mentors meant in in your business journey? You know, I had a few mentors, which they basically gave me certain tools. Now, I'm not going to say they gave me everything I needed to be able to reach the level of success, but they just taught me that, um, to, as you mentioned before, Robert, to really trust the process. Mm-hmm. And for that, you know, like when you when you ask the universe that you want this, you want that, the thoughts become the things, the laws of attraction. But if you don't put belief and action behind it, you've got nothing. Those laws will not be uh, applicable. It will not be working. So action and belief. Belief is have faith in the process. You have to have faith in yourself. If you don't, you've got nothing. Okay? Mm-hmm. So if you don't believe in yourself, no one will believe in you. You have to believe in Jeff Bezos, the first meeting that he said to all the investors that put it into uh, on Amazon, he said, there's 70% chance that Amazon 
will fail miserably. So you only have 30% of your investment that may or may not work, okay? But they didn't believe in Amazon. They believed in Jeff. Well, and that's the case with just about any company, really, right? It's, mm -hmm. It doesn't matter whether you make widgets, sell widgets, sell books. Um, the reality is that they're buying they're buying the person, even in counseling, right? They're, okay. they're buying you as a counselor. Um, and so being able to, to recognize that that especially early on, you are the brand. That, exactly. And that's why it's very hard when you even you built a practice of, of uh, therapy and you bring in 20, 30 different therapists in your practice, people will come to you because they want to talk to you. They do not want to be, you know, attributed or allocated to another therapist. Of course, in the beginning, it's this is how it works. But after that, you know, we all have 24 hours in a day. <laughs> so how many, you know, how many patients can you take without, uh, you know, putting yourself under the ground because you're lacking sleep and you're not taking care of your health. So to go back to your, uh, to your original question, you have to also um, know how to manage work life. Mm. You know, it has to be a good balance. And when you have a family and all, yes, you have to work. Your spouse has to understand your desire to succeed. She has to support you. But at the same time, if you don't put in the work for your marriage, you will fail. Okay, so yeah, you may you may succeed in business, but you fail in marriage, you fail in your relationship. So at the end, all the hard money that you made will have to be divided in half. So <laughs> the logic here, you're gonna have to kind of like juggle both sides of the spectrum. So as long as you have an understanding wife, and thank God I was blessed with that, you have to kind of like allow yourself to put in the time and the energy to your spouse and to your kids. And then also at night when you are, when everything is like, you know, all the kids are asleep and the wife is asleep, then you continue adding another three or four hours to your work and to your business. Well, the truth is as an entrepreneur, you can design your business around what's important to you. You can design your business around oh, your family yeah, and make business choices that, that serve your family and serve the boundaries that you want to protect. That is correct, Robert. You have that luxury. So no one is setting your schedule. And that's why, you know, if you want to go and work for someone, then, yeah, you have to be nine to five and you're obligated to, to respect those hours. And that's the reason why you have the great resignation now, uh, Robert. <laughs> this is because people are fed up following those rules. So they say, hey, now these are my demand, Mr. Employer. You don't respect them. I get the hell out of here. Well, and it's because there's a million jobs out there right now, and they have lots of options. Yes, that's correct. And now I, I heard that even on LinkedIn, a lot of people who are already employed, they go to people and say, hey, I got a better offer for you. Okay? Yeah. Again, it has to be kind of like, well, if the employer doesn't step up, doesn't try to protect their talent, the talent will leave. And that's why now they are at the mercy of the employees. And that never happened for the past, what, 700 years? Well, at least, you know, I think prior to the 80s, companies used to take care of employees as part of their, their taking care of employees was a priority. And obviously, the, the, the laws changed in the 80s, the stock market changed things, and the stockholders became the primary driver of, of corporations, right? Mm -hmm. So corporations would fire people give people pink slips at a willy nilly that they would never have done before. And, you know, my, my father, my grandfather and, and great grandfather worked for companies for 30, 35, 40 years. 
because loyalty was, you know, loyalty was a thing. It was, it was assumed and the company took good care of them, had, had, had a retirement and, and, oh, yeah. and they were proud of having worked there all those years. And very, very few companies have that today. Very few companies are taking such care of their employees that the people are saying, yeah, I've been here for 30 years. I'm so proud to work here. I'm so proud to retire from here. And it's because the stockholders have become the primary driver all right. yeah. or the CEO. And so there's this, there's this mix now, I think, that has to switch where the CEO is no longer the driver. The stockholders are no longer the driver. The clients are no longer the driver, but the employees. Yes. The sad thing is there should be a way that companies run that, that clients benefit, stockholders benefit, the CEO benefits, and the employees benefit. And, and a company should be able to serve their clients and still provide good value for their employees, good value for their stockholders, and of course, good value for the leader that makes it all happen. But also you have to think that when you look at the pyramid and you see all the employees at the bottom and then you see the CEO on top, um, you start wondering that they, they have to do like a reverse engineer this pyramid and start looking at things where if you have no employees, you have no production line. If you have no production line, there's no product to sell. If there's no product to sell, there's no revenue, there's no profit, and everyone loses. So if you lose talent and you lose um, the smart engineer in a company, et cetera, who's going to be able to continue selling software or selling products? So yeah, everything starts from the employees. And now those employees realize that. And because they realize that, they have the upper hand. Now everything, now the CEO is suddenly at the bottom and the employees are on top. Well, they really should be. I mean, a good CEO, a good leader would would be a servant leader, and he wouldn't he wouldn't put himself above his employees. He'd be doing everything he can to make his employees better, exactly. and and building them up. And so, so I think the shift is is valuable. I think it's gonna it's gonna make valuable changes to American corporations, American healthcare systems. That I sure hope so. That I think so. So, you mentioned uh, being an author, writing ten books. What, what has been the impact of, of being an author? Um, in the beginning, it was, I would say, a, a method of journaling. Mm. So um, it was very therapeutic for me. And also, like, my first book um, was How to Buy or Start a Business Using None of Your Own Cash, which is Leveraged Buyouts. And that, that was an extension of my thesis for my master's degree in business administration. Mm. So I basically, even at the end when I was defending my thesis, they said, why don't you put this in a book? So, but my thesis was too long. So I had to shorten it and shorten it and shorten it and shorten it. <laughs> and then suddenly I made it as a question and answer format. So anyone who wants to go and, and learn how to do leverage buyouts, they could read this book. All the questions that you could ever imagine that you would ask a CPA is in that book. Oh, yeah. Then, then I, I start writing about fitness, which is when I, I got my uh, NASM certification. Um, then I was talking about obesity related diseases and all that. So I was writing about that. Then I was writing about, uh, fitness trainers, about, uh, the life of a fitness trainer. So I, I share personal stories in there that kind of like share with the public on how trainers and client interacts. Okay? <laughs> so that's like, it was, uh, uh, like a, more of a sarcastic book come to think of it. Um, then all the other books, the, the, the happiness book that I wrote. That was my largest one. Then I wrote a book about how to understand women. Then I had wrote a book about uh, the living your life in the dash, which is my latest book. And nice. this is more of 
um, how to be mindful, how to live in the moment. And why the title is because the dash, when you look at the tombstone, the, the birth year and the death year, and then people wonder the dash in between the birth and the death, how did these people live this life? Okay. That's all we got. Yeah, that's all we got. We got only one life to live. Um, but metaphysically speaking, uh, despite the physical body dies, consciousness remains. So again, this is another conversation that we can have that is more metaphysical. Metaphysical, But here, the, the idea is for people to live in the moment and not to start predicting what can happen tomorrow, next week, next month, because nothing is guaranteed. But at the same time, not focus too much of your time on the past. Mm. You cannot drag the past into the present because that will continue depressing you and you're never going to be able to progress. So again, it's completely changing your mindset, learning how to live a purposeful life, and of course, living in the moment. And mm -hmm. a lot of people I've noticed never live in the moment. They always think that, oh, I need to do this. I need to do that. Why should I do this? Why should I do that? And if I don't do this, what will happen? If I do that, what will happen? So again, they question every aspect of their life and they overthink everything and they end up doing nothing. Hmm. Yep, there's a lot of people stuck in the past or worried and, and anxious about the future. That's correct. I mean, look how many entrepreneurs, they have brilliant ideas, Robert, but they put nothing in action. Hmm. Okay? And that is, I mean, if they, they have, I mean, dreams, they come like, just look, you know, the, the best example that I give to a lot of people is to go to Alexandria, Virginia, to go to the patent office, to see all the patents that are being invented or put into the doc in that document, but none of those patents are in the market. Hmm. So they have ideas. They spend $20,000 for a patent lawyer to be able to write the documents, to be able to file to the patent office, and they don't do nothing with it. So they do it in the hope that someone will steal their idea, that they have not researched that product at the patent office, that they go and manufacture this product and that the patent owner will go and sue. Ugh. That's how it works. This is how, this is what they hope. This is what they dream for it to happen. And then they will have to give royalty to that patent owner. That's what it is. Wouldn't it be so much more valuable just to make it happen yourself? Much more. But people just, they have the idea. They have the, 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 I would say the intelligence, they have the know-how, but everything to put into practice, this is where they freeze. Mm. You see, sometimes you have to throw yourself in it. I'll give you an example. Before the pandemic, Robert, uh, when I was living in Maryland, I was um, I had a show, a TV show, The Happiness Journey with Dr. Dan. And mm. I was inviting people from all walk of life that were, go that were struggling through like uh, therapy issues, mental illness, um, even inviting a lot of authors to be able to come and share their experience with the general public. Um, then the pandemic hit. And I said to myself, okay, well, I don't have those $25,000 camera at my office to be able to do the same quality of work that I would have in a studio. So what do I do? So then this is why I, I created the podcast around the happiness journey. So now I can invite people from everywhere around the country well, before it was only people in Maryland, D.C., and Virginia that mm. they could come to my show. So I had like audience. I had like, I mean, a whole crew that was doing the, the direct, you know, technical director, the cameraman. I mean, it was like a full, full production. 
But then at the same time, I said to myself, I could have just said, okay, well, the pandemic, I stop everything, goodbye. But no, then I said, you know what? Let me do a podcast. So you always have to reinvent yourself. Never just say because external issues occur that you have to just say, okay, I give up. <laughs> and that that's a part of an entrepreneur that should be definitely a, a very important skill to know how to find or reinvent yourself and not allow obstacles to stop you on your track. Well, and don't, and don't get stuck in, in tradition or old thinking, right? Like obviously the example of Kodak or uh, Sears, you know, both companies that were giants and they failed and they, 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 they couldn't make the next step. Right. And we're stuck on the old habits, old thinking, uh, old management styles. I mean, everything was just old. It was like the 1970s and all. And they just didn't know how to progress to the next level. And then they had to shut down. They had to close doors. They had, that's it. Done. And, and what's crazy is the Sears catalog would be a natural fit to the internet. Like it was the original Amazon. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> like exactly. it, they, they just missed they just missed the mark by trying to fight for the retail space instead of saying, let's put our catalog on the internet. That's correct. Exactly. <laughs> they would have done that. I am not sure if Jeff Bezos would have succeeded the way he did, because mm. at this point there would have been too much competition for him to be able to have. But again, he was focused primarily on books. Now Sears catalog was but, more. But he only, he only focused on books because he knew they were the easiest thing to bring to to start with his intention was always just to start with books and expand. So he had us, his vision was so, so big. And I think that's what Sears Sears lost their vision and tried to protect, yes, protect the retail happy. space, protect the retail space instead of having a vision for, Hey, our catalog is perfect for this internet thing. We got pictures, we got descriptions, we got prices, we got item numbers. Let's pop that puppy up there. You're right. You're right. They, I think, you know what, they, they got lost in translation. They were too afraid to be able to go into a virtual world and thinking, well, okay, people order online. So how do we process this order versus someone coming to the store, paying? And for them, they just didn't know how to process all that. And which is, which is crazy because they were processing catalog orders for, for 10 to exactly. 20 years. That's correct. I just don't know what was the, the missing link. I don't know. And it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Kodak, Kodak invented the digital camera and then said it's not going to be the thing because they were so stuck on film. They're a film company and they couldn't transition from film company to to, to photo company. That's correct. Exactly. Oh, so crazy. It caused, them, it caused them the business. And Absolutely. All right. You mentioned your wife and, and her understanding. Let's change it up a little bit. Let's talk about <laughs> what was your most memorable date? Uh, my wedding. Oh, okay. Well, you know, actually, I would say the birth of my kids and then my wedding. <laughs> that was the, the most memorable days. Um, nice. But you know what? Yes, if we go back to the family part, you, you have to have um, the right support because if this is going to be a very lonely journey, and I tell a lot of people, even when I say lonely, it's not just you being with someone and you have a companion or a significant other. Even when you have that, it's still lonely because you are stuck in your office. You're doing not the nine to five, but I would say the 5 a.m. till midnight. Hmm. Okay. And yeah, in between, you take a couple of breaks, you spend time with the family, you have dinner, et cetera, but you go back to work. Okay. Um, and you will have some times where 
you're going to ask yourself, where am I going with all that? Where am I headed? There's no signs. There's nothing that tells me to keep moving forward. Trust me, those signs are there. You just have to open your eyes. And people are so blinded because they just don't know what they need or what to look for. Sometimes everything is right under your nose. Absolutely. Well, then I tell people that's the reason you need a coach because you're stuck in the box and the instructions to get out of the box are on the outside. And that's correct. Exactly. So I, the only thing that I do is just take the, the instruction, I open the box and I let them read that instruction. You know? <laughs> because, you know, the, here's the difference. A lot of people tell me, how do you, uh, how are you a therapist and a life coach? How do you wear both hats? Because, you know, as a therapist, you have to look into the past, childhood issues. And um, you have to go back and try to figure out exactly what are the triggers, the initial triggers that bring someone to behave the way that they do. Yeah. So you focus a lot on the past to be able to fix the present. But now coaches or the life coach, they focus in um, kind of creating a path for the client, but they allow the client to take the initiative mm -hmm. to be able to make the changes that they need to make. So you see, for me as a therapist, I have to hold the hand of the patient and bring them to being to having their, their their life healthier, like mind, body, and soul and all. But as a coach, you just have to guide them, but you have to let them be the one taking action. Mm, that's so good. All right. So what do you love to do in your free time? Um, wow, free time. I love everything from you know, when you, like I told you, like fitness. For me, I, I'm an avid, uh, like, a workout crazy addict. Um, I've been working out since, uh, who, 1986. Hmm. So I've been in it for, like, because I used to be overweight when I was young. So for me, that was, like, an obsession to be able to uh, <clears throat> to get myself healthier and, uh, and be able to get back in shape. Uh, of course, you know, like I said, I've been up and down like anything. But, you know, when you go and, and, and put your mind into something, you could accomplish everything you want in life. So working out is one thing that I do a lot. And, you know, again, like yeah, living in Florida, I love the beach. So sometimes during the weekend, I'll just say to my wife, hey, we, I got two free hours. Let's go. Let's take advantage and let's go back home so I could go back to work. <laughs> nice. Yeah, sometimes vacation. I mean, I loved, well, I used to love traveling. Um, but now, you know, with this pandemic, that kind of like put a hold. But hopefully, like in the near future, I'll be able to go and again, do some uh, seminars all around the country. And your kids, what do you love to do with your kids? Um, well, the kids, you know, like I have a three-year-old and I have a 13-year-old. So it's two different mothers. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, the, the three-year-old is a bit uh, challenging right now because, of course, he's a three-year-old. So, you know, this is the terrible threes. Um, and it goes to terrible fours and terrible fives. So it never ends, really. I, but, I tell know, people all the time, the only people that complained about the terrible twos never had teenagers. Exactly. That's correct. And uh, teenagers, I could just imagine what that's going to be, especially with uh, his character. Um, so for me, like I said, I just, you know, for him, he also loves the beach, my uh, my son. So we take him there. Um, you know, we, we went to uh, Colorado for uh, my son's bar mitzvah. Uh, no, I mean, uh, Arizona, I'm sorry. Arizona for uh, my son's bar mitzvah. So we go to Montreal where my mom and dad and sister lives and my niece and nephews. Um my my brother and uh, and her and his kids are living in DC, so we go and travel there as well. So whenever we have time, you do we do this. Um, but we sometimes you know travel all over Florida. So we went to the Keys, uh, to the Key West and Key Largo and all.
So we went for a three-day weekend there. So, you know, we're just exploring and uh, this is something fun to do. But again, it's, you know, like I said, it's even when I am on vacation, Robert, I always think about work, hmm. you know? So it's what we call the opportunity cost. So what I do on vacation is what I lose out doing work. But for me, I have to change that mindset because or else I'm always going to say, oh, no, I got to go back to work. I'm not going to enjoy the moment. So I'm still, I'm still like, you know, progressing and understanding this. So I'm not like an expert in that and I will not claim to be either. So I am also a work in progress. Hmm. Aren't we all? Yes, we all are. Absolutely. (laughs) And you know what the thing is? You have to accept failures. And -hmm. that's what I would like all your listeners to, uh, to hear. Um, Failures is just, is not the end. It's just the beginning. And for people who are entrepreneurs, they will always fail. But is it really up to you? And just like uh, Rocky told to his son in Rocky Five, is that if you let life beat you down and keep you down there and for you not to get up and move forward, then life has won and you have lost. So you do not want to be a loser. You do not want to be someone who will just let everyone, you know, press their finger on you to keep you down there and dictate how you should live your life. Just get up. Do the things that you want to do. If you fail, it's it's on your own. Don't go and complain to anyone because these are the decisions that you made yourself. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, if you ask for people authorization to do something and they tell you no and you follow their lead and then suddenly you see someone who took your idea and now they're making billions, the blame is on you again. Mm-hmm. Don't go and blame other people because they stop you from doing. Who are they to stop you from doing anything? So don't listen to anyone unless if it's a mentor that could guide you and they have no really any interest either in your failure or success. So they will be biased in giving you the advice that you need to be able to be successful. Mm, so good. All right, Dr. Dan, what's your big dream? Well, you know, it's, I'm living my dream, Robert. Good. Okay. So there's, when you say what's your big dream for many, they will understand that it's in the future, but the future is never guaranteed. So live today. So the dream should be how you live your life today. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month. And a dream can only be a dream if you don't do anything about it. Okay? You have to put action behind your dreams. If you truly believe in yourself, if you're truly passionate in what you want to do, then take this dream, write it down, analyze it, study it, and see what potential you could get from it. Mm, That's so good. Dr. Dan, thank you for joining me today and and being on the show. I've definitely appreciated the wisdom that you've shared and really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Robert. And you have yourself a wonderful day, my friend. If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast and we want to give them to you for free. addvaluemindset.com. In our next episode, Steve Barber and I have a great discussion about franchises as a business opportunity, how to grow yourself and your business. The conversation turns to outsourcing and how powerful a tool it is to hire experts to grow your business, especially when you think you can't afford them. <laughs>